the series that we're in. The Bible tells a story, and you have a part to play. The Bible tells a story, and you have a part to play. And one of the parts that you have to play is to be a person who points people to Jesus. Because if you are a devoted follower of Christ, I, I guarantee you there are some names and some faces that are popping into your head right now that you would not be a Christ follower if it were not for them. Because they made Jesus easy to find for you, and we have a responsibility to make Jesus easy to find for other people. As you read through the Bible and you find these incredible stories about people, what we want you to understand is that God has written your story into his story just like he did them. We might not ever be known or famous like Abraham or Peter or Mary, but to God, your story is just as important. So one of the reasons why we believe he's given us these stories is because he wants you to know he's written a story for you that's in the middle of his story. The people that you're close to, the people that you live next to, the people that you work with, even the ones that you wish that you didn't, God put you there for a reason. Right? Even the people that your story is walking along beside their story, God chose you to live in this time in history. Will you be a person who makes Jesus easy to find for others and we hope this sermon series inspires you to do just that. Week one, we started with this chart. Every week, we're going to fill in a little bit of this. And this was where we kind of launched in week one. If you haven't listened to these, you can go online and listen to them either on the YouTube channel. You can watch the service. You can go to the website, listen to the podcast. But every week, we're going to fill in a little bit of this chart. And then week two, we dropped this in. We talked about how we're going to tell the story. We're going to be a people that know the story of the gospel and tell the story of the gospel. And the next week, we dropped this piece in where we talked about how we're all flawed. All of us born into this world, flawed, separated from God. And then tonight, what we're going to be talking about is heaven. And that why the Bible talks about heaven, why the Bible talks about angels, why the Bible talks about celestial beings, why the Bible talks about realms. And no, we're not going to talk about the Bifrost because that's not real. But the Bible talks about realms that are real. We, we might read, so this is going to make some of you nervous, more verses tonight than we've ever read in a sermon. So just all you Bible nerds, you're going to love it tonight. Everybody else, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. But I want to read these because I think some of these you've probably never seen before. Never seen before. And then at the end, I'm going to tell you why I think all of that is in there. And then every week, I'm just throwing this up there. Because by the end of the series, we're going to fill every little part of this chart in. And I want you to be familiar with this because this is the story of the Bible from start to finish. And I want you to understand the story because you've got a part to play in the story. In the story. Somebody say angels. There are over 300 references to angels in the Bible. I, I was just Googling for pictures for angels. This picture is awesome, right? So whatever your little cartoonish, fanciful picture is that you got from Veggie Tales of angels, is, that's, not, that's for kids, but that ain't real, right? When you read, the, there's a ferocity to angels in the Bible. The Bible talks about angels warring on our behalf. 
Some of you need to see this picture right here because when you feel alone and oppressed and you feel like the world is against you, that God is going to send somebody like this to fight for you. Right? You, you need to get a picture of this. For some of you that struggle with fear, you need to get a picture of this because that's what the angel that looks like that's coming to fight your battles. Genesis 28, 10 to 19. Oh, we're going to read some Bible tonight. I love it. Genesis 28, 10 to 19. All right, I'm going to start with the, the Bible Bible. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba to travel toward Haran, and at sundown here arrived at a good place to set up camp and stop there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep, and as he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from earth to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. Now, I want to pause here. Now, you might say, well, Fred, this is a dream. It is a dream of what he's seeing, but in the dream, the Bible speaks to angels as though it should speak to them as these are real celestial beings. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of your father Isaac and the ground you are lying on belongs to you and I am giving it to you and your descendants. See, oftentimes dreams, even though they might seem fanciful, they are open doors, open moments that God uses to begin to have a conversation with us. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth, and they will spread out in all directions, to east and west and north and south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. And what's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. And one day I will bring you back to this land, and we're going to get to that later in this, and I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, what an awesome place this is, right? Because angels are not chubby, floating on, floating on clouds, playing on harp. You, you with me? There was a holy fear that was inside of him because of the awesomeness of what he saw. What an awesome place it is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. Stop it. The next morning, Jacob got up early and he took the stone that he had rested his head against and he set it upright as a memorial pillar and he named the place Bethel, which is Hebrew. It means the house of God. He didn't call it the place of fanciful dreams. He didn't call it the place of imagination. He declared it to be an, a place of an open heaven and he called it the house of God. Why? Because he saw things there in that dream that were real. And he had a conversation with a God who's just as real. Genesis 32, 1 to 2 reads this way. As Jacob started on his way again, right? So now we're moving forward through time. He's coming back. He's now married. He's going to confront his brother Esau. And it says, as Jacob started on his way, angels, angels of God came to meet him. He's not dreaming. This is a physical interaction with angels from heaven. And when Jacob saw them, he exclaimed, this is God's camp. And so he named this place Mehanaim. Right, he's just on his trip, traveling in his caravan, and then a whole group of angels. I love how matter-of-fact the Bible is with this story. It's just matter-of-fact. 
See, the first time we see it, there's a dream and it's a vision. But then the second time, it's like the Bible is saying, sometimes you're going to see angels and dreams and visions, but then there's just, they're here amongst us. Jesus says sometimes we entertain angels unaware. Entertain angels unaware. Listen to this verse in Luke 1, 19. It says, then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God, and it was he who sent me to bring you this good news. This is Gabriel talking to Mary about the birth of Jesus. I love this here because, see, sometimes the Bible just refers to angels as a messenger or an angel of the Lord, but here we see that angels can have names. And then we're told that Gabriel's an archangel, which means there's hierarchy, which means that there are relationships. It means that there are purpose amongst these angels. Gabriel. How about Jude 1, 6 and 9? And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of the authority of God and gave them that God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. And God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. This is talking about the great rebellion that was once in heaven. Listen to verse 9 here. But even Michael, this is another archangel, one of the mightiest angels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. Then the Bible makes this note. This took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. Like, what? What is that about? I'm just, this is on my list. I hope you have a list when you get to heaven. I have a list. I want to know more about this. Angels, their presence, their work, warring on our behalf, defending God, advancing his purposes. Revelation 9-11 talks about an angel that's assigned to the bottomless pit whose name is Abaddon or Apollyon. Luke 2.13 says, Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others in the armies of heaven, praising God. We open the series with this. When the shepherds were out in the fields tending to their flocks, and all of a sudden the angels appear to them and declare that Jesus, the Messiah, is born that day in Bethlehem. And then it says an entire host of angels began to sing. Right? There's not just a few. There are many. Maybe now you can think of other moments as you've been reading through the Bible throughout your life where people had an encounter with an angel. Did you know that fear not is the most repeated command in all of Scripture? Did you know that? And the most common usage of the command fear not is always accompanying an angel appearing to a person. That tells you a little bit about what they look like. Yeah? Angels. Lucifer. Let's talk about Lucifer, one of the angels that the Bible speaks to that now is a fallen angel and the the enemy of our soul, the enemy of God. This is in Revelation 12. 7 through 9, it says, Then there was a war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. Now, this is before creation. Revelation is a tricky book to read because sometimes it's giving us glimpses as what happened before creation. Sometimes it's speaking to things that are happening presently, and then sometimes it's looking forward into things that are happening in the future. It's like watching the movie Tenet. 
You just, you don't know what's going on. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle. And he his, his, and his angels were forced out of heaven. And this great dragon, the ancient serpent, called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to earth with all his angels. So now we realize there's good angels and there's bad angels. There's angels here in this earthly realm that are, that are, that are working on our behalf, and, but then there are others that are fighting against God. We have an enemy, and that enemy is real. Luke 10, 18 reads this way. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. This is Jesus saying, I was there. I saw it. We fought the battle, and we won. Ezekiel 28, 14, again, speaking of Lucifer, it says, I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. This is Ezekiel giving us prophetic insight into the place that Lucifer held in heaven, the place of authority that he held, the place of access that he had. Many believe he was one of the archangels himself. Then we get to Isaiah 14, 12 to 14 that speaks of what happened. Again, it's referencing the aftermath of the battle that we just read that Lucifer led, the rebellion. It says, how you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountains of the God's Far away in the north, I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Right? He aspired to be God himself. Celestial beings. See, angels aren't the only celestial beings that the Bible talks about. We, we, we talk about angels because angels are the most popular form of celestial being. We, we, we talk about angels because if, if most of our understanding of the Bible came when we were younger, when we were in places like the nursery or what we call care or in workshop or like kids' church, a lot of times the, 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 the stories focus on the, on the angels. But at some point, right, you've got to begin to pick this book up and read it yourself. And as you do, you will begin to find that there are other celestial beings. Angels aren't the only kind of celestial being that the Bible speaks of. Isaiah 6, 1 through 3 reads this way. It was the year of King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord, and he was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and attending him, listen to this, were, attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew, and they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Come on. We're going to see these. One day when this life is over for us, if we made a vow of devotion to Christ, we're going to be in the heavenlies with these incredible celestial beings. Genesis 3.24 this is after the fall of mankind. It says, after sending them out, speaking of Adam and Eve, the Lord God stationed a mighty cherubim, right? So we've talked about angels. The Bible talks about something called a seraphim. And, and now the Bible refers to something called cherubim. 
Stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Come on. So good. There's more. How about Revelation 4, 6 to 9? It says, In the front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. This is a vision that John had of the, the throne of heaven. It says, In the center, around the throne, were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face of a human, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out, day after day, night after night. They keep on saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Can, can I just encourage you the next time that you're in a worship-type moment that you would picture this? I do this sometimes. Because this is happening around the throne of heaven nonstop. And when we're in a setting like this or when you're by yourself and you're listening to whatever worship music and you're just praising God, can, can I just tell you, it does something to you when you envision yourself joining in with this moment that's happening in heaven. Something happens inside of you when you realize that your voice is joined in with these creatures that are giving praise to the creator of the universe. Joining in with all of heaven. It says, whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne who lives forever and ever, it goes on to say that the 24 elders that surround the throne bow and cast their crowns before the Father himself. These are incredible pictures that are given to us. Angels, Lucifer, a fallen angel, and other fallen angels that are warring against God. This is all part of the story that we're living in right now. Celestial beings. Then the Bible talks about this idea of realms. About places that exist outside of our universe. It doesn't talk about it in a fanciful way. It doesn't talk about it as, a, as a, 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 a something of our imagination that's allegorical to teach us a lesson. The Bible speaks of these places as if they are geographically identifiable, but not in this universe. Listen to this first one in Job 1, 6 to 12. It says, one day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the, before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. What, what is that about? How is it possible that Satan is able to be in heaven and have a conversation with God? But yet here it is. It's like something out of King Arthur, is it not? There, there's this court that the Bible says that's, that's present right now in, in heaven where decisions are being made and that here comes Satan himself to make an accusation. It says to present themselves before the Lord and the accuser Satan came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. And then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. 
He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. That's a good thing to pray over your life and your house right there. It says, you have made him prosper in everything that he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely, surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. But whatever you want with, but do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. We pick up in chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. It says, one day the members of the heavenly court came again to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser Satan came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. And Satan replied to the Lord, I've been patrolling the earth and watching everything that goes on. Right? He, 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 he says, hey, I've done everything that you gave me permission to do. I've done everything you gave me permission to do. But he's still not going to defy you because you're still protecting him. And so God takes another layer of that protection off, if you've ever read the story of Job, and allows Satan to attack him physically, but he's not allowed to take his life. It's an incredible story. It's an incredible story. And one of the most incredible parts of this story is this image that we are given that there is a realm outside of this universe that is more real than the one that we live in. And the reason why I say it's more real than the one that we live in, because the Bible talks about this earth is one day going to pass away. The Bible even says that heaven, as we think of it and know it, is one day going to pass away, which is why Jesus in John 14 said, I leave here to go prepare a place for you. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Incredible things that the Bible promises to us. How about 2 Corinthians 12, 2? This is Paul says, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. This idea of a, a third heaven was familiar to his audience. Paul was Jewish, and he was writing primarily to a Judea, Jewish audience often. And this idea of a third heaven had specific meaning to the, to the Jewish people, because they referred to the Garden of Eden as the first heaven. That, that in, in their mind, that was the first paradise that the Bible records. So it, it's, it's, it's called the first heaven. And then the second heaven was, was referred to as the heaven that is to come, the heaven that's in Revelation, that when every, God does everything that he's going to do on the other side of judgment and everybody who's brought in through Christ, that that's heaven that we're all, that we think of oftentimes. That's the heaven that they refer to as the second heaven. The third heaven, the third heaven, was the place for the righteous dead, meaning that that's the heaven that's now. It, it's the place where if you've made a vow of devotion to Christ or before Jesus, right, if they were made righteous through the Mosaic law, then there is a place of paradise where they are all waiting until judgment comes before the new heaven and the new earth. This language was very specific to them. They understood what he was referring to. I share all of that to say that Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, is saying, I visited there while I was still here on earth, and I saw it, and I want you to know that it's real. Acts 7, 55 to 56 is another incredible story that we're given where someone is given a glimpse into this third heaven. 
This is Acts 7, 55 to 56. This is, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. This is Stephen as he's being stoned to death for being a witness for Christ. He says he gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Not a vision, not a dream, not an allegory. A realm that was open for Stephen to see. Because God wanted him to know that he was on his way there. But don't you love that it made it into Luke's account of the early church? Because God wants us to know that we're supposed to be on our way there. Eternal life. Eternal life. Eternal life is why God goes to such lengths to talk about angels, celestial beings, and realms beyond this earth. This is it right here, people. All of this mystery that's in the Bible about angels and celestial beings and realms. All of these incredible stories that oftentimes leave us for wanting more details that one day we'll know once we get there. All of these incredible stories that seem like they're out of some type of science fiction novel. God put all of those stories in this book because he's saying to you and to me over and over and over and over and over again, we were born into this world because we're destined to live in that world. He wants us to see these things because he wants us to have a vision for what our eternity is supposed to be. That we were not born to stay here. We were born to be there. Listen to John 3, 16, and then 36. It says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have what? Eternal life. Verse 36, it says, and anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. And anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. 1 John 5.13 reads this way, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have what? Eternal life. Matthew 25.46 says, And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go where? Into eternal life. Luke 23, 43 says, and Jesus replied, this is my favorite, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. There he is on the cross, dying for the sins of the world, a thief on either side. And one rejects him, but one accepts Jesus there in his final moments. And Jesus says to him, today, this day, you will be with me in paradise. Why? Because we are not born to be here, people. We're born here so that we can be there and be with him for all eternity. 1 John 5.11 says, And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. It's in his Son. Can I just tell you one of the great tragedies of the teaching of Darwinism is that it devalues humanity. It says that you are here because you are some random, biological, fatalistic result. 
But God says he created you for a purpose with vision and with intent that at some point in heaven, God looked out into this story that he has written into the world and he saw you and he gave you life and he's got a story that he's written for you to live out. You're not an accident. You're not a, a random biological event. You are created by the Father in heaven. You have been given a gift of life by the only one who has the power to give life. Your life has purpose and meaning. If you've got kids and they're in public school, you better be teaching them some things that are different than what they're learning in that classroom. Identity begins in a person by understanding and believing that they are created by the God of this universe. There is nothing that instills a sense of identity and purpose and meaning in a person than knowing that the creator of this universe has given them life. Given them life. If this conversation tonight about heaven and what heaven is going to look like and what heaven is going to be, this is an amazing book right here by Randy Alcorn. It is one of the most comprehensive books that has ever been written about heaven. I love everything about this book, everything about it. Years ago, we did a whole sermon series just on heaven out of this book. This is just, and it's, it's an amazing book to have as a resource, as a reference. As your kids are asking you questions about heaven, you might not know the answers to. You might not know where to find it in the Bible. You can find it in here. All kinds of verses listed in the back. Every question that you could ask. It's, it's an unbelievable resource. I'm not giving that away either because that one's mine. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. This slide right here, people. The Bible tells a story and you have a part to play. And heaven is a part of this story because God made it a part of the story. And the reason why there's a heaven there on one end of the slide and a heaven at the other is because everything that we're so attached to in this earthly realm and in this world is one day going to come to an end. All of this is going to go away. All of it. All of it. God created this so he could create us so that we would have the opportunity to be there with him, to be there with him. I introduced this slide to you last week. This is important for you to understand that you and I were born into this world flawed, separated from God, and all the things that we've done that we shouldn't have done and all the things that we haven't done that we were supposed to, all of that deserves a punishment. And the death of Christ stands for all eternity that the wrath of God that we deserve rests upon him and his death on the cross so that we can know the Father who created us and that we can be known by him. That there is a relationship that is possible. There is a reconciliation between mankind, humankind, and the creator because of the death that Jesus gave his life for 2,000 years ago. 
And because of that, you and I can have the hope of eternal life. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, it means that, it means that you and I can live the rest of our days with the hope of the heaven that this book speaks of. It, it, it means that, that when you and I breathe our last, that we don't have to wonder and worry about what's waiting for us. Why? Because we know the story. Because we know the story. And when our part of the story comes to an end, we know where that story picks up. And it picks up in heaven with God, our Heavenly Father for all eternity. And my great hope is that everybody who's in this room and everybody who's watching online, that there is a point in your life, when you look back over your story, over your story, that you can find a moment in time where you've made a vow of devotion to Christ. And if you can't, come on, then you can make it tonight. Not just for yourself, not just because we want you to be in heaven for all eternity, but there are people that you were supposed to bring with you along the way. All of the people that have been a marker in your life who made Jesus easy to find for you, will you be that marker for someone else? The Bible tells a story, and you have a part to play. Stand with me as we pray. Father, we know for those five pages of Bible verses we read tonight that even still, we were just scratching the surface. It was just a, a sampling. It was just an appetizer. It was just a foretaste of everything that's in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation all 66 books, angels, Lucifer, fallen angels, celestial beings, heavenly realms, all of that, verse after verse after verse, page after page after page, for one simple purpose, that you want us to understand that we were born here so that we can be there with you for all eternity. I pray that as we ramp up and begin this march towards Easter this weekend before that everybody who can hear my voice whether in this room or whether watching online if there's never a moment in their life where they've made a vow of devotion to Christ where they've never accepted the forgiveness that he offers where they've never experienced what it's like to be born into your family that that ache and thirst and hunger inside of them to know you, Father, and to be known by you that's never been satisfied, that it can be satisfied tonight, that they would find the eternal life that only can be found in your Son, Jesus. And it's Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Come on, and everybody said amen. Let's worship together.